Can we open up our Bibles now to Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. I had a really wonderful time over at Cornerstone last week, and I, I was able to listen to Rick's message, and I, he served us so well, you so well last week, um, as he continued in our series. And uh, so we're going to pick up just following this prayer that Paul prayed for them. And we were, we we're just mining the very first part of this, this letter, and it's been awesome. He's, he's given a welcome to the church. He's overflowing with gratitude. He, he, he tells them how much he gives thanks to God for him, the, the, them, their partnership that they share in this mission. They share in Christ, not only just the mission, they share in Jesus together. Uh, and they are sharing in his suffering, his imprisonment. And we're going to hear more about that today. This, this, these chains that are, he's in, and this is part of the, the progress of the gospel in their lives and his life. And God's using them towards that end. And his love abounds towards them. And we move into this next section in verse 12 where he, he's beginning to move into the purposes of his letter. The content of what he's going to communicate. And he begins with what is sort of a missionary update on how he's doing there in Rome. I don't know if you get Josh Montague's, our resident missionary here, his updates. I get those. And um, you need to sign up for them if you don't. Um, you may have to give towards his mission in order to get that. But if, if not, you need to start. Um, but he raises support and, and, and he tra- helps train leaders and pastors around the world in, through training leaders in international. And it's a joy that we get to partner with him. But he sends out these updates, as other missionaries do. Maybe you get them from other missionaries. But this is the progress of the mission. This is how I am doing. This is where your, your support and funds are assisting me in my, my mission. I appreciate your support. Things are going well. And so Paul is in a very precarious position. He, he's in prison in Rome now. He, he's experienced all kinds of things leading up to that. Um, if you remember this journey in Acts where he was um, through storms and shipwreck, he gets bitten by a venomous snake and the Lord heals him. And he's sitting in a prison waiting a legal decision from, uh, from the emperor. He appealed to Caesar and so they, he's there and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Will he, will he have more time in prison? Will he be released? Will execution come? Uh, and the questions linger. Could this imprisonment hinder the gospel mission? Do these sufferings that he's experiencing and their own, is this dictating that somehow they're off track to what God has called them to? I mean, could, could they be expecting Paul to reply with his missionary letter, you know, things are not too good. I've been locked up. It's, it's been about a year now. Thanks for supporting me, but I'm in prison. I think we're just going to close up shop And uh, we had a good run. Um, God was with us. You know, thank you. No, it's actually the opposite of what would you expect in that situation. He he is actually thrilled at the progress of what this is happening, uh, what is happening through that in the gospel. Knowing his circumstances, he's been in prison for this length of time and all his sufferings, his discomforts, his chains. They do not hinder God's mission, but he, and he wants them to see, these are actually opportunities for gospel progress, gospel advancement. 
progress of God's glory that they will experience in God's glory in the world. And so we're going to be able to take that in this morning and see that, that the advancing of the gospel both then and in our life happens despite our hindrances, our setbacks. Actually, God purposes those things to actually propel God's work in our life and towards others. And when we do, there is a sense of courage that God gives us to move forward and advance. And and He also uses less than stellar messengers in order to fulfill those purposes. And so let's turn our attention to God's Word and we'll pray. Begin at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. These are, these are words from the pen of Paul to this church many, many years ago, but they, they are, it is your voice to us today. And so we want, to, we want our hearts to be inclined to hear your words to us because they, they have good for us. They, they are here to Help us find more confidence in you, Jesus, wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, and, and to see it as advantage, opportunity for you to be known and for others to know you. And so come and speak to us, speak through your scriptures and whatever words I communicate today. We need your help. We need your spirit. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see... This morning, and we're actually going to just see two things we're going to point to, is, is this gospel advancing, and there's gospel advancing through this suffering or these chains of Paul, and then gospel advancing through uh, less than stellar messengers. And so here Paul begins, right at the beginning, remember this transition, right on the onset of this letter, he wants to be sure they know this very thing. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, because this is going to shape what he's going to continue to say in his letter, what has happened to me, which is his imprisonment, his chains, has served to advance the gospel. So, missionary update, your support, your partnership, is, is what is going on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to update you. This prison, this chain, these chains are advancing, not impeding the gospel moving ahead. I mean, this, this is radical. This is, the chains, rather than hindering, is actually pushing and propelling the gospel forward in the mission. I mean, this, this isn't quite the marketing scheme that you would think about for church growth or for a, mission, a missions organization. If you follow Jesus, you're going to get imprisoned, 
and you might get your head cut off, brutally martyred, but it is good. The advancing of the gospel will go through this very thing. And Paul gives two examples on how that is advancing. The first one he gives is there is this unique evangelistic access that he has that his sufferings, that his chains are giving him. Look at, he says, these chains have given me access so that the whole imperial guard is hearing about Jesus. So the imperial guard is known as the Praetorian guard. It apparently was some like 9,000, it's like uh, Caesar's elite uh, military force. These are guys like the Navy SEALs, and they there serve and surround and protect Caesar and do his special bidding. And this is where Paul is held up. He's locked up by these guys. Now, he's not like in a dank, dark prison dungeon down in, you know, some, some dungeon. It's, think more of it like a, a closed quarter, living quarters, this tiny apartment, um, which he has freedom to read and write. Their people could visit him there. Um, but he is, he is, this is no Airbnb. He is chained up, likely chained up to one of these guards at all times. There'd be some rotation of these guards, maybe every four to six hours. Um, and they would have all these shifts, and he's chained. He is suffering in this moment. This is, this is no luxurious vacation. But the chains are not a surprise to him because he knows Jesus' words. Back in Luke 21, Jesus said this, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up into synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness." These chains were, were foretold by Jesus, and it did not surprise him, and he knew he would have to be, be ch- chained or imprisoned for Jesus' sake, but he knew this was an opportunity to bear witness. His confinement was actually gospel-exposing opportunities. So Paul's chained to one of these guards at all times, rotation that comes through each, each day, maybe somebody new every day. And there's really no one else for these guys to talk to. So it can imagine, right, the guard saying, okay, old man, like, give me your story. Why, why are you here? What did you do? Why are you in Caesar's chains? And, of course, Paul is able to say, let me, let me tell you why I'm here. Let me tell you about a, a man named Jesus. So the Roman, to the Romans and the surrounding world, these chains the Praetorian Guard and everything else was, was an image of Caesar's glory, his lordship and his power. But what Paul knew is that he was not ultimately there because of Caesar's glory or his power or his chains. He was there because of God's sovereign good plan. And he was in the perfect place, God's choosing to testify of Jesus. Alex Motier, he's, he writes this. He did not see his suffering as an act of divine forgetfulness. Why did God let this happen to me? Nor as a dismissal from service. I was looking forward to years of usefulness. Now look at me. Nor as the work of Satan. I'm afraid the devil has had his way this time. But as the place of duty. The setting for service. The task appointed. When the soldier came on duty to guard Paul, did the apostle smile secretly and say to himself, but he doesn't know that I'm here to guard him for Christ. Chains, not indicating an uh, indicator of God's absence or him being handicapped to ministry, but as an opportunity, an appointed task for ministry. Paul looked at his chains and he saw them 
with Christ. It was, it was no journey or path that his Savior himself did not walk. He was in chains for Christ, in Christ, with Christ. Paul is linked with Christ. Chains that are his are also ones that Christ knew and he's there with him. And the whole imperial guard, let's say it was 9,000 men, that word spread about these chains. And to all the rest, whoever else, workers, politicians, these chains are for Christ. So Paul's answer, I'm in chains because of Christ, because of Jesus. Christ is my Lord and Christ is King. And let me tell you about the good news that you need to hear. So it was opportunity for Christ to be shared verbally, but I can imagine what these guards watched and observed in how he suffered, how he loved, how he had hope in the thick of that pain. Paul knew this. Paul knew that this didn't hinder the gospel, but it freed it. He would write to his fellow um, son in ministry, Timothy, Remember Jesus, the gospel I preach, he tells him in 2 Timothy 2.9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So I may be in prison, but the gospel is not imprisoned. It's actually something to get the gospel loosed for those around me. Now this isn't a, like a positive spin, like rose-colored glasses that Paul is seeing through. He's, he's seeing this all come down from a good, sovereign, wise God who loves Paul and he loves Jesus and he knows this is where he should be. He would say in verse 16, he says, I am put here to defend the gospel. So, so where are you put right now? If that is a present life situation, maybe where you are on your job, maybe the the, the lack of personal advancement that you want? What is, what is limiting you? What are those chains that are maybe you feel about you right now? Can you, can you say, I am put here for a reason? We need, we need divine perspective in order to, to say that. We, we need Christ to help us to have the faith that Paul did in this moment to say, these chains are not examples of divine forgetfulness or dismissal or just Satan's loose power and control, but rather a place of duty where Christ has put me. And I want to trust him. And this is the opportunity for me to know and trust him more, an opportunity for me to communicate and share with those around me how I suffer with these chains, these limitations, these blockades, not as impeding, but as opportunity to share my hope in Jesus. I mean, think about it. The people in your life, some of them are the ones only you have access to. God chose your zip code. You think you picked that house on that block and that street, that address? God picked that spot. That means God chose your neighbors. That means God is orchestrating your cubicle location. I mean, God has that one particular coworker or boss that is not random. Your family. You did not pick your mom or dad. You did not pick your sibling. God did. Your situation and the people around you are His plans so that Christ, that Christ may increase as your hope and treasure and those around you may encounter Jesus as well. So see them. 
see them. They're, they're not just there to observe our hardships, but also how we encounter those hardships and that our hope is in something bigger, and that is in Jesus. So, there is this unique access that Paul points to that he has to the people around him. And then secondly, he says, this, this suffering that I'm experiencing, this gospel advancement is coming because his chains are instilling courage in those people around him, the believers. So Paul then says, what has happened to him is chains. God uses to increase the, brother, the boldness in brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14. That they may also speak the word, the gospel, without fear. So Paul's example of suffering, how he engaged, so how he is suffering, how he is engaging these chains, his imprisonment, in the face of opposition, it, people were watching, people were hearing, other brothers and sisters were hearing the story, and it gave them faith to push ahead. It freed others in boldness in Christ. And Paul was right there, he, he's at the epicenter of Rome's power of Caesar's glory. He's right there with the, the Navy SEALs guarding him. And if he's able to stand up and endure and say, this is for Christ, man, well, everyone else is just feeling the power and the good of that. They want to stand strongly and boldly because of his confidence in Christ that grows their confidence in Christ. I mean, this is just how it works. I mean, you can think of people, people's story that you have heard or that you've observed, and it's just just ramps up your courage. I mean, we just love hearing stories about that, right? It's, it's that common picture. It's, it's Katniss Aberdeen, right? A courageous rebellion against President Snow and the corrupt government, right? And just everyone swells and rises up to the occasion. Or Maximus, who defied the Caesar, Caesar, inspiring courage to soldiers around them to rise up to stand up for what's true and noble and what is good, even if it means death. And this is what is happening and this is what God does. This is why he gives us so many stories of these through the Scriptures. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith is one of those examples. It's to help those, those original readers and hearers, that they wanted to look back at all these believers in the past who found faith in the midst of suffering, in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of being sawn in two. Look how they continue to look to God. Examples like Moses or Abraham. But it wasn't faith in the characters. It was faith in God. Look at their examples of their faith in God. It was Moses who, who, who weighed a greater, greater treasure. He didn't compare to any of the riches in Egypt. He knew there was something else on the other side that he was, he was looking to, this greater reward. What was that? It was, it was Christ. And Paul's aim too. He knew, he knew his treasure was Christ. And he wanted to, to amplify the hope of these individuals in the same way. To know Christ, to proclaim Christ. And it wasn't confidence in Paul, not his glory, not their personal gain. But it was confidence in the Lord. Verse 14. They saw God's faithfulness and work in his life. And their confidence grew in the Lord as well for help and power and strength. And so what an opportunity for us to, to, to be to see in our faith to be encouraged by observing others and for us to be examples of the very thing as well. But we need help not just as example, others' examples. We need God's help. We see that throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's empowering in the midst of, of a need when fear is facing us. Recall in Acts 4, those first disciples, they were persecuted. They gathered to pray, and this was their prayer. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, they prayed for more boldness. And when they had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And they went out and did that very thing. So, opposition is an opportunity for advancement by the gospel and the Spirit's power to give us boldness in the face uh, of fear. And we see those opportunities around us to share, and we want to allow our boldness to be heightened. So chains are going to advance gospel, gospel work. Secondly, we're going to see that the gospel advances through even inadequate messengers. So Paul continues the, his point of gospel advancement, even in his chains, and then he points to, to two groups that are preaching Christ. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So two groups are preaching Christ, one from goodwill and one from envy, envy and rivalry, and he'll describe them even more. But this, this sum points back to other brothers and sisters. So these are believers who are ministering in churches there in Rome. And those, there are those who preach out of goodwill and out of, he would say, love. Out of love, knowing that Paul is there for a purpose. So they're not selfishly motivated. They are seeking the good of others and the glory of Jesus for the purpose of the gospel. They love God and they love Paul. And notice that the connection between love and knowing it directs our attention back to verse 9, that his prayer was that they would love. Love may abound more and more with knowledge meaning that they, they are encountering God, they are encountering the gospel, and they're, they're knowing the ways of God, and they're wanting to love like Jesus, and so learning to love well. And so this group is loving well, and others well, and they're preaching the gospel well, and their lives are shaped by the gospel. So they're not just messengers, they're also being shaped by Jesus, to look like Jesus, which is the opposite of the other group. Verse 17, so 15 through 17. So this former group, this other one, points to the group that proclaims Christ out of envy and rivalry. And notice he'll go on to describe them as those, they're motivated by selfish ambition, without sincerity. Their goal is to afflict Paul more and more in chains. Now, why, why are they envious? Why are they, why are they selfishly motivated with rivalry? Um, we don't know for certain, um, Maybe they had all this ministry going on in Rome, and then Paul comes in, and he's this like serious apostolic heavyweight. He's got some serious influence, and they're just jealous of, of that influence and his effectiveness in ministry. I mean, kind of the picture is a, a new pastor maybe comes into town, and he starts preaching and communicating, and the church grows, and his influence go, grows, and the guy who's been there for a long time is not quite happy about all of that. How can I make this hard for the new guy? All the people that he's, he's sort of stealing from my church. Well, whatever that would look like, his theology is better. This, their motivations were selfish. selfish. They want to afflict Paul in some way. And maybe this has produced deep grief in Paul, sorrow and all the divisions that were in and among the churches. They had a lot of theology but their, their life didn't line up with that. It's, it's very common for people who have really good theology to drift towards pride and self-righteousness and become puffed up 
Paul, Paul did not want that. Paul did not want that. These, these were believers. He, he, he refers to them that, that some of them were, um, had these sinful attitudes, which is, which is bizarre. Here's these brothers and sisters, but they did not look like Jesus. This would be in contrast to what Paul would later uh, deal with and what he deals with in Galatians of groups that were preaching false gospels, right? These aren't Galatian, the, 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 what he would write to the Galatians about the Judaizers who preached Jesus and then also obedience to the law and some mixed uh, false gospel. This is not what's going on because those, those individuals, he says, they should be accursed. He would later say in Philippians 3 that they, he calls them dogs. So they were troubled messengers with, a, with wrong content, with a false gospel. These folks are preaching Christ, so right content, but they, they are troubled messengers. And Paul wanted the Philippians to look very different. He uses them as examples. He would write later in chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing, he uses the same categories of sin, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He wanted nothing to do with that, and he wanted this to look nothing like that for this this church. He wanted their love to increase and abound more and more. He wanted humility to shape their lives and their Christ preaching. Paul doesn't simply want right message being preached in Philippi. He wanted his people to talk about Jesus and also to look like Jesus. The message, our theology is really important, but God desires and wants that message to then shape and uh, form his people to look like the message that they're preaching. And so, preaching Christ as servants with life and messages that line up. But this is, this is the strange thing. Paul sees this, he knows this, he shares this, that there are people preaching Christ with hearts and motives that are awry and a mess. I think a point here, truth, the gospel, can advance and can come through bad preachers and messengers. That can happen because it's the message itself that saves. It is the message itself that is glorious. And people, God uses people all the time with wrong motives, with bad attitudes that are, and that are amiss for his good gospel to go forward. We don't need to look far. We, we can look in the mirror. How about us? Perfect messengers? I don't think so. I don't think so. But, but here's the deal, and I, what I appreciate about Paul's humility here, even though he draws attention to them, he doesn't completely cut them off. There, there is a restraint, a restraint with love as he communicates. He calls out the issues. He, he directs our attention to what is wrong, but he doesn't blow them up. But we can, we often can find ourselves in, in the opposite, though. We, we do want to shoot the messenger even though they, their message is accurate. One little slip up. And they want to, we want to cancel them. The world is really good at this. They're getting really good at this. Canceling everyone with no grid for forgiveness or mercy or atonement or with the ability to even identify what, a, what sin is. Yet this is very different for us believers. It should be. 
We do have categories for forgiveness. We do have categories that God can use sinners to still allow his good news to go forward. The Bible is full of examples of weak, troubled people that God uses for his glory. It doesn't mean we dismiss those issues. It doesn't mean we excuse using, uh, ourselves for being poor, false motive preachers. But we identify with Paul and we could say, as he did, I am the chief of sinners. He knew he wasn't perfect, and we can be okay with imperfect messengers. We need Christ's love. I need more of Christ's love in his humility in my life towards others. And we, church, we, cross of grace, uh, we need to be able to move towards others and relate towards others, even those outside of our camp, maybe outside of our our way or method of doing something and be okay with those differences. If it would be a Satan's ploy is to, to come in and divide Christians and God's church even more and more with tribalism and denominationalism, and I, I think it would be God's call for us to find where we can love well, where unity can be fought for well. And so, God brings his hope, his gospel through inadequate speakers and bringers of his gospel. He, he uses you. He, he's used others in your life in the same way. Um, you and I will both, we will both mishandle our motives and our words. And so we, we need to be able to pursue humility and love and address our own pride, our own envy, our own selfish ambition and to seek love, and to seek forgiveness, and seek peace, and guard our hearts. Guard our hearts, and our mouths, and our, our thumbs, and our keystrokes, so that, that we, can, we can love well. So, this is where Paul says, and he kind of concludes, for Paul, his faith is in God. He knows the advancement of the gospel is going to come through, through messy situations. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come through chains. It's going to come through broken and messy messengers, but, but gospel advance is still going to happen. This is what he says in verse 18. What then? What then? Or, or, or so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, false motives, or in truth, loving well, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So even if it's suspicious preachers or messy leaders, either out of truthful hearts and loving hearts, Christ, let Christ be proclaimed. If Christ is preached, then I will find joy. This is what he says. If Paul would be upset if this was all about his gain or his popularity, if it was all about his name on a website and for his furtherance or his promotion or his finances or his, his gain. But it wasn't. It was for the name of Jesus. It was for Christ's name. It was for his glory. He knew that Jesus would use less than stellar messengers because he wanted his name to be praised. Is the gospel being preached? Is Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins being shared? Then he is going to find joy. So in every way, may Jesus be proclaimed. If it's in chains 
or not. If it's through adequate messengers or what seems to be inadequate messengers. Because it is the message, it is Christ that saves. This is where he found his hope. I want to share a, a story with you that I heard recently. Um, actually, I heard this at the pastor's conference that we were at several weeks ago. And it, it's a story that I hope will encourage you. It's a story of God's, God's plan to use the power of the gospel, his message to save. He uses opposition as advance for his good news, and he, and he uses regular people, what would seem less than adequate people to further his kingdom and his glory. So I heard this story from, a, a, it was relayed through another pastor, but from, written from a pastor named Jeffrey Joe, who is a pastor in the Philippines. So tune in. Lily, he says, came along to the church in 1995 in Manila. She came along because it was Bring a Friend Sunday. Lily was a practicing lesbian, so she came along with her partner. Somebody had taken the time to invite her. Jeff says, I will still remember seeing her. She had that short, spiky hair and sat and listened. As Jeff shared the gospel, he noticed that for Lily, there were tears coming down her face. That very morning, she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Well, what happened next was that she needed to be discipled and cared for. And in time, she understood, hey, my life got, has got to change as I really follow Jesus as both Savior and Lord. The way I'm living needs to change and be different from that of the world. So she tells her partner that she can no longer be with her and she moves out. Her partner becomes very violent. So young Lily is now being shifted to different homes in, of people in the church to keep her safe. Then Lily declares, I'd love to go back to the Mindanao Islands, which is about an hour and a half away. I'd love to go back because my family doesn't know Jesus. I don't think they've ever heard of Jesus, so I would like to go home. So Jeff and the eldership send her back to the islands, and she tells her family about the old, old story of the gospel. She tells her family about the glories of the gospel, and each and every one of her family members become a Christian as she shares it. They all respond in faith. Then they all get together, and they're all like, we've got to tell our extended family. For any of you know who know about Filipinos, this is hundreds. So they are all on the move. They're all now mobile for the gospel. They particularly go to the different islands, uh, to different islands down in the south, and they start to tell their family members. One by one, they all start getting saved. One time when they were with their family members down south, this young boy from the Minobo tribe comes in. You don't usually see the Minobo tribe. They're the headhunters. They will kill you. So they keep amongst themselves in the mountains, and they keep out of the way. But this young boy had become disoriented, so he came down into the village, and he met Lily. Lily started to care for him and asked him about his life. She told him about this guy that had changed her life, namely Jesus. And this boy became a Christian. At which point he says, listen, I need you to come to my tribe and tell everyone about Jesus. That was a bit more of a challenge. So Lily decided, I'm going to call in reinforcements. So she calls on Jeff and the A-team. So they come in. And they're all coming over to the islands. And the only way they can get into the tribe is with this boy. If this boy isn't there, they're all going to be killed. But this boy is their ticket in. So they go in to this tribe. They go through all their various rituals. You should ask Jeff about them. Monkey brains might be included in that. 
And they arrived in this tribe, and Jeff and his team start to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. And the tribal leader starts to have tears down his face. And then in there, he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel that he hears. Now, in this area, these series of islands, Sovereign Grace now has the joy of partnering with 12 churches that all have come through the ministry of Lily. That's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel through messengers. It's the power of the gospel when it seems that there is something disadvantage is an opportunity for advantage of the gospel. God called her out of sin through an unsafe situation and provoked faith and put her there and put her among that tribe, among those people to share Jesus. And like Paul, it was actually the restrictions through weak vessels that were opportunity for gospel advancement. Isn't that amazing? So, so how about us? How about us today for you? What, what is the what is, again, what is that restriction? What are those chains? Parent, maybe it's the, the number of kids and the age of your kids that you just, you, you can't wait to get out of this. But God wants you there. Maybe it's a lingering ailment. Maybe, maybe it's just that ongoing fight against anxiety and depression, a, a joylessness that makes you feel stuck and you're asking, why am I put here? So where, where do you want out and God has you somewhere? By God's grace, and it was only by God's grace that Paul could look down at his shackles tied to a guard and think, the guard probably thinking that he's winning and Paul saying, Jesus is winning in this. This is, this is, this is God's plan for advancing his work in my life and for others to know the glory of God. So saints... God uses chains for his power to be displayed, right, where, where you are. God shows his power to save through weak, selfish messengers because it's his, it's his message. It's, it's Christ in us. It's Christ through us. And so may we, may we by God's grace and his help, see our, our setbacks, what we see as setbacks as opportunities for advancement of Jesus Jesus' work in us, for us to know him, for us to treasure him, for us to, to be emboldened, to, to share that with others around us like a lily. Those around you, those around you are watching, and there's opportunity for you to have access to share Christ. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of Christ. Christ is the one who who drank the ultimate cup of suffering, our suffering, so that in turn, his gospel through his life, death, resurrection, he advanced the gospel to, to others. And, and, and here we are, through his suffering, we know that hope. Christ being our example, Christ being our help, Christ being our treasure in that, for our joy. There, there are those around us that need Christ's joy. And God has put you specifically and particularly in your situation and where you are so that that can be known. And as we prayed already this morning, and Andrew encouraged us from Paul's prayer, we need his help to do that. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, we do need your help to have a divine perspective of where we are 
to experience your nearness, your comfort, your help, and to know that you're using that in our life for our good, for our joy, and Lord, for, for the hope of those around us. Well, thank you for stories like Lily, Lord, that, that embolden us, that, that give us hope to, to know that there's a power that's not residing in us, but it's in your, your hope, Jesus. You, it's in you. And you want to use, use us. You, you want us to grow in love as, in, in likeness as messengers, Lord, but you want to use inadequate messengers. It is your, it is your word that makes us adequate, Lord. And so as, as we prayed already this morning, as we think about, as we scatter into our week, into that cubicle this week at work or our neighborhood at home or travel to family members, Lord, let us, let us be able to speak and share with boldness. Let us be able to, to suffer well, Lord Jesus, experiencing your help and your power and your comfort and your joy so that people may know that others may know, Lord, you. Amen.